Yes, uh, hi, hello, and welcome inside a Thursday edition of the program. Power Talk of Muncie, the new WMUA. Let's crank up that microphone. It's a Thursday. We got a lot to get to today. NBA trade deadline ridiculousness. And I mean absolute positively ridiculousness because really not a ton happened today. Now, uh, the Indiana Pacers did make some moves. It's going to be interesting uh, to, to, to see all this uh, plays out. But I had to check and make sure we weren't in 2019 because Doug McDermott and Corey Joseph are Indiana Pacers. Now, if you followed this team, over the last four, five, six seasons, you might recall there was a time that Doug McDermott and Corey Joseph are were, were Indiana Pacers, but I guess today uh, they, they're reacquired. I, I'm I'm double confirming this because um, yeah, I guess Doug McDermott's going to the Pacers. Well, that's interesting. Marcus Morris, who was acquired for Buddy Heald, uh, going to the Spurs. So I guess that fixes a little bit of the whole deal where you don't have enough shooting. But it's weird. Um, The NBA trade trade deadline is weird. And I heard this the other day. that at the end of the day, the NBA trade deadline is really watered down. It's watered down because you don't get a lot of big names anymore, and it's all about salary cap renegotiation. I I saw a joke from somebody today that says the Indiana Pacers have like 10 second-round picks. What's the true value on that? I mean, other than the fact that you drafted Andrew Nemhard in the second round, it's really hard to get great value in the second round of a particular NBA draft. So at the end of the day... um, the biggest move for Indiana happened with the Pascal Siakam trade. I don't think anybody's surprised by the fact today was rather quiet. And we'll put into perspective the Buddy Heald stuff uh, here in a little bit. Um, I-, I think the possibility of Buddy Heald being moved was more and more likely over the last couple of weeks, especially after acquiring Pascal Siakam. His value uh, severely decreased for this team. Um, his minutes were dwindling. Benedict Matherin was getting more. Uh, you, had, you just had a lot of decisions to make. And Buddy Heald, when he turned down the extension this past offseason and to this point, his value has dropped and dropped and dropped. And that doesn't necessarily account for the um, help he's been for this Pacers organization. They love Buddy Heald. But at the end of the day, you got to make tough decisions when you are starting to uh, compete. And I think they're in the perspective of doing that. So all in all today, uh, the Indiana Pacers acquired Doug McDermott, Corey Joseph, Fernand Korkmaz, I think his name is. May have said that wrong, but um, you acquire a second-round pick, so now you have 11 second-round picks instead of 10. So, it's, uh, I mean, that, that's really what the trade deadline was today. I mean, there wasn't anything significant. Nothing of craziness. Gordon Hayward, a former uh, Butler basketball player, headed to the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. But at the end of the day, there's there's not not a whole heck of a lot going on from that standpoint. So anyway, we'll break this down here in a little bit. Um, very fired up to have Mike Fleck, uh, the men's golf coach. They had a nice tournament win earlier this week. We'll uh, chop it up with Mike Fleck as the men's golf season is rolling 
along. Should be a lot of fun uh, to see uh, where that conversation goes as well. Uh, Coach Fleck is outstanding every time he jumps on this program. So we'll get to a lot of that. Uh, it is the Thursday before the Super Bowl. Not a lot going on from a from a Colts standpoint or an NFL standpoint, but I, I do want to prepare you for this. As soon as the NFL, uh, the, the Super Bowl concludes, it starts to ramp up again. I would imagine extensions will start to be talked about. Resigning players will start to be talked about. And, and, you know, George Brimmer from the Herald Bulletin's been on with us over the last couple of weeks. And if the Colts wanted to, they could theoretically re-sign. Um, they, they, they could re-sign. Michael Pittman Jr. right now. They could re-sign Julian Blackman right now. But there's almost kind of an understanding that the whole league year, the whole league cycle kind of uh, happens to, to, to come into force after uh, the Super Bowl concludes. So um, we are going to get into the length of the postseason, or, or the, the offseason, that is, uh, when we get done with Sunday. And Monday will be a whole new day, a whole new perspective, and it's going to be a lot of regurgitating the same topics over and over and over again. I'm just ready to have game action again, but we have to wait a long time for that. So your calls are welcome. 765-287-1340 at Mark WMUN on Twitter. Uh, tough night for the Ball State women's basketball team. They fall for the first time in Mid-American Conference play, and I believe it snapped their 14-game winning streak. Uh, Ball State struggled at the free throw line. Uh, did send that one to overtime. Nyla Hampton was fantastic. I, I watched a bit at the end of that game and uh, Nyla Hampton had a three-point play and uh, with about a second and a half left Ball State had a uh, foul on a loose ball that sent Northern Illinois to the free throw line. Northern Illinois tied it. It went to overtime. Ball State had the first three points of overtime with about a minute and 30 seconds gone. And had the basketball with a chance to go up two possessions. And then Northern Illinois had a 10-0 run. Um, in the midst of that, Ball State led 67-64. And it got to 74-64. And, um, yeah, it was it was a tough result for uh, the Ball State women's basketball team. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you're still at the top of the MAC. Uh, free throws for any coach is something you'll focus on. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, that might have been the most glaring part of last night that, okay, getting in a tight game and getting in a situation like that, you know, Ball State really hadn't been in a lot of tight games here as of late. And it's a great learning experience because as um, good and experienced and seasoned this team is, look, it's um, – in a way, you got to do it the way that everybody else does it. You may have more talent. You may have more ability to win. You may have been in this winning streak, but it comes down to execution late in a tight game. And road wins are tough to come by in the Mid-American Conference, and it also comes down to hitting free throws. Here's, here's what I find interesting about that game. That in, in a weird sort of way, this sounds ridiculous, when it comes out of my mouth, but you might understand it when it when it comes across, is that that was a pretty straightforward message to send after the loss. Like it wasn't like, man, um, how did a nine and eleven Northern Illinois team beat us? It showed by 
some of the inabilities at the free throw line, some of the issues around the rim last night. Um, and, and even in that case, you, you could make the case you could have won that game with um, – you know, a couple of possessions, big possessions there in overtime. Like, I think the messaging from the coaching staff to the players, and look, this is a very smart team. This is a team that's been around a lot of winning, been around a lot of big moments over the last couple of years. Like, none of this is going to come as a shock to them. But there's something to the fact that this is a very straightforward message. Like, I think they understood why they lost last night. I think that's pretty understated. Like, you know, um, th- there's there's ways that you lose and maybe streaks you go through and you're trying to search to fix a problem. You know, early on in the Ball State men's basketball season, it was how do you close games? And that is so much conceptual right? and you really can't put yourself in that moment until you're in that moment. Last night, it came down to missing free throws. It came down to some missing layups for uh, Ball State women's basketball and a couple of other things. And, look, you got to tip your cap to Northern Illinois. It's a nice win. A very nice win last night, and the rest of the Mid-American Conference saw it. Um, and it broke a 14-game uh, winning streak for Ball State. Uh, they're now 20-3 and overall and 10-1 and in Mid-American Conference play. But, um, you know, look, um, I've never coached. I've never really been a part of a, um, you know, a winning team at a high level in a lot of ways. But I will say this in talking to coaches, interviewing and having conversations like this one. When you have a streak and you have a team that's undefeated um, and you have a team that is setting all these records and is getting national love and all those different things, it is hard to win. It is fun to go through a streak like that. But at the same time, it comes with a lot of pressure. Now, I, I know I've never sensed from this team that they've ever really felt that pressure. Like, they, they understand the responsibility and the urgency of the position that they're in. But you've never really sensed a lot of stress with it, which is actually a very good thing to allow yourself to play very, very loose. But this provides a, a reset. In a lot of ways, a hey, look, we we're, we're vulnerable too. If we don't have our best on a night, you know, it's hard to find ways to win when you don't have your best. But good teams find a way, and sometimes it's going to go your way. Sometimes it is not. There was a game early in the Mid American Conference schedule for Ball State women's basketball that was very similar to last night. They didn't have their best stuff. They battled all the way back and found just enough to get over the finish line to win. And, and it looks similar to last night as well. And last night, you don't get it done on the road. But the feelings about this team don't change. Like, I, I don't see them going into a game and shooting this poorly from the free throw line again. I don't see a game like this where Ali Becky just has one of those nights where it just doesn't all fit together. So, I this isn't a concerning loss at all the only bummer of it is it 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 stops a streak that was quite historic and you know national polls all those different things which at the end of the day I know that team and coaching staff don't really care about at the end of the day they want to be their best versions of themselves but it was a great effort to get it to overtime and uh, Northern Illinois uh, did what they needed to do at the end, hit clutch free throws, and you can point back to um, the, the shortcomings for your own team. Uh, you can point back to it and, and look exactly as to why things happened the way they did.
I mean, that's at the end of the day. So, um, you know, hey, it, it, it is what it is. And, look, that's why I, I always tell you, you are judged by the middle to bottom of the conference and how you navigate that, whether it's at home, whether it's on the road. And, look, Akron in the, uh, the men's side got clipped a, a, a week ago. They got beat. You know, hey, look, you know, Akron was undefeated. They got beat by a middle-of-the-conference team. Ball State last night in women's basketball by got beat by a, a, a middle-of-the-road uh, Mid-American Conference team. I mean, that is why the parity is so strong and also why, yeah, the regular season's great, but it's about what you do in the Mid-American Conference tournament because how many times have we seen the one, two, and three seeds struggle? So, look, I, I don't think anybody needs to tell Ball State women's basketball that at the end of the day, um, it comes down to the conference tournament. They have put themselves in a position where they are expected to do very well there. And, look, would it have been awesome for them to have an undefeated conference schedule? Absolutely. It would have been a neat thing to see. You, you love to see those records and see streaks, and they went on quite a streak. Uh, but at the end of the day, it – there's more important things down the road and at the end of the day maybe this is a bit of a reset because you did not play well last night you didn't yet you had chances to win and that might be the silver lining of it all that at the end of the day every single time you've gone out there pretty much even when you've not had your best you've had chances to win games and you put the trust in your players to make the right decisions at the end of games. And I thought Nyla Hampton did a great job at the end of regulation. And Ball State was one second away from getting out of Northern Illinois and DeKalb with winning that game. You know, fouls called. They go to the free throw line and it's overtime and the rest is kind of history. So tough result. It, it, look, it's it, it's not like uh, it's not like they're happy they lost. No, no question about it. But uh, again, it's not dire straits. They still had opportunities to win, and uh, yada yada yada. So on on we go uh, with the basketball season coming up here. So thanks to those of you joining us on Facebook Live, um, Ball State men's basketball in action on Saturday. Um, certainly, um, I'm, I'm sure they're looking forward to getting back out there. Uh, but look, uh, a, a tough result right there uh, for Ball State women's basketball. So, Mike Fleck, Ball State men's golf coach, will be with us here in a little bit. Looking forward to that conversation. Uh, NBA trade deadline related items. Other than that, it's pretty quiet. Um, You know, we talked a lot about the Pacers yesterday. Um, I invite you to head to our podcast page because I thought of all the conversations we've had with Pat Boylan over the years. That was one of the better conversations we've had because I just was so curious. Like, if we had another 45 minutes, I think we could have filled that 45 minutes with the conversation about the unique position in today's NBA to not only have star-level players and have two of them, in Halliburton and Pascal Siakam, but have young, growable players in the likes of Benedict Matherin, Jairus Walker, uh, Ben Shepard, um, and the assets you have that those guys could end up being great players for you or become assets for you to get that next guy, get that next star in the building. And look, we've had examples of this in the past 
where, you know, I mean, really Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets, when they signed Kevin Durant and they signed Kyrie Irving and they had the other assets around it to acquire a James Harden, that's what we're talking about here. Like, I I don't know of a team in the NBA that has as many young, tradable assets as do the Indiana Pacers. Because why would Oklahoma City do it when they are the number one seed in the Western Conference? You know, you're, you're not the number one seed in the Eastern Conference and have things all figured out and have one of the best regular season records. You're a team that's in the middle of the Eastern Conference. You just acquired a top, what, 25 player in Pascal Siakam. And you still have all of your young tradable assets. It is a big-time advantageous position. And in the NBA nowadays, you have to have that flexibility. There are teams that have so much wrapped up in, you know, three or four players. But the balance to have youth and the balance to have, you know, star-level established players – there's not a, a team like the Indiana Pacers right now. They are the what I would consider the gold standard to be in that position moving forward, um, which is it's weird because how many times have we gone into off seasons and said, wow, well, nobody's going to come to Indiana. They can't sign any of the star-level players. They don't have the, the, the salary cap, and they don't have the interest of these players. Well, there's a couple things you have going for you. And the biggest one, maybe 75 to 80% of that, is you have a star that players want to play with. You have a star that players want to play with. And, look, I don't mean to pick on Paul George, but I guess I'll pick on Paul George here. Like, after the fact, when he left Indiana, okay, he's gone on podcasts, he's done his own thing on his own podcast and said, yeah, well, the, you know, the Pacers front office didn't want to make all these moves to surround me with talent. Like I had the, you know, I had the best power forward in the league that was ready to come, but the management didn't want to do it. Okay. Here's the thing. Okay. Paul George isn't a player that people follow. I'm just telling you from what I've heard, he's not a player that people follow. Guess what? Okay, when Russell Westbrook was the best player in the Oklahoma City Thunder and took over the reins after Kevin Durant left, Paul George followed Russell Westbrook. He was traded to Oklahoma City in the secondary player to Russell Westbrook. Guess what? Kawhi Leonard goes to the L.A. Clippers. Paul George is traded there as the second option to Kawhi Leonard. Paul George has always been a follower, and he is viewed that way across the league. I'm sorry to be so strong about that, but that is the case, okay? The difference is people want to follow, players want to follow, and play with Tyrese Halliburton. It is just very simple that way, extremely simple that way. And so, you know, the, the, the criticisms that maybe the front office for the Pacers got by trading Paul George at the time ended up being a net positive because Paul George has been a follower every other place he's gone. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. There, there are really like 12 to 15 guys in the league that are true guys that people want to follow, and you all know their names. And the Pacers have one of those. The Pacers have one of those players that players want to follow, that players want to play with. That has not happened in a very long time. And I always wonder, 
when we talk about the Indiana Pacers. I always wonder if Reggie Miller played in this era, would players want to go play with Reggie Miller? You know, in the back of my mind, Reggie was so much about winning that it makes me believe that Reggie would have been able to attract a player better than himself and Miller say, I'm totally fine with taking a backseat because players loved playing with you know, players like him that had that intensity. It always makes me wonder. But Reggie's kind of out of this conversation because at that time, there was never a perspective that you know, players were going to move around. Okay? Players just didn't move around. Okay? So I'm sorry about this to be so bold about Paul George. It's not that I don't like him. It's the fact of the matter, after he left, he wanted to whine about how uh, the best power forward in the league was going to come play for him. But everywhere else he's gone, he's been a follower. And by the way, the next place he goes, he will be a follower again. And every team has to have a great secondary player, has to have a Pascal Siakam. By the way, Pascal Siakam wasn't the best player on that championship team. He was the secondary player that emerged with Kawhi Leonard, and Pascal Siakam knows who he is. He wants to play with Tyrese Halliburton because Tyrese Halliburton's the leader. He's the guy that people want to play with. And there are 12 to 15 guys across the league that are there, and it's okay if you're not... But this is the first time in franchise history the Pacers have ever had a player like this. I don't think players wanted to play with Victor Oladipo as excited as he was. He didn't necessarily make everybody better. He was exciting. He was a threat. He was outstanding in that Cleveland series. But to replicate that again, it's not Victor's game, and that's okay. That's all right, you know. So really, this is the first time that they've ever had a player like this. Ever. And that changes everything. So, well, I'll tell you this, uh, I was about to take a break about seven minutes ago, and this is what happens when I get on my soapbox. <laughs> Sorry, uh, maybe that was bold, but it's true. Tell me I'm wrong. All right, we'll come back, talk about the Pacers trade deadline after this. You know, sometimes I learn something about myself when I jump on the air and go through the opening monologue or the opening conversation we want to have. <laughs> oh, man. It's uh, it's something. We're brought to you by uh, Walls Furniture and Mattress, Nebo Road and Monsey online at wallsfurniture.com. 90% of what's on the showroom for in stock for you 48 hours or less. That's the Walls Furniture and Mattress difference. Nebo Road and Monsey and online at wallsfurniture.com. So I, I, I got to tell this story. So um, some of you that listen to this program probably uh, know my, uh, my guy, Kevin Swain. He's been on the show a couple of times, but Kevin and I have worked together here at Wolf Boom Radio for 10 years. And we've got that, like, relationship where, you know, um, we're like brothers. We bicker. And about 15 minutes before I jumped on the show, we had a, we, we had a, a, a bickering conversation about a, 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 a non-related sports topic. And so we were going back and forth, and I said, are you going to apologize, nor are you going to apologize? You know, the, uh, people that know us. No, no, that's what we do. And so I came in the studio, maybe more fired up than I thought I did. And maybe that's where that came from. So I don't know. But anyway, nothing but love for my brother, Kevin Swain. He, he the man. 
He the man. So calls welcome at 765-287-1340 at Mark WMUN on Twitter as well. So apparently uh, didn't know we were going to talk Paul George on the show today, but that's what we do. Uh, you know, sometimes it just happens. So, um, yeah, Paul George is a follower. So be it. I mean, it's like, you know, it's my, like my boy Jalen Ramsey. Same thing. He's a follower. So, yeah, there's a lot of followers. And you know what? A lot of those followers are the guys that talk the most. So, anyway. All right. Pacers trade deadline. So, um, if you turn back the clock about five years, Corey Joseph and Doug McDermott were Indiana Pacers. <laughs> <laughs> and they're Indiana Pacers in 2024, I guess. I don't know. It was, was it Doug McDermott and Corey Joseph on the team in 2019, 2020, something like that? I can't remember. Uh, whatever. But um, I can't even tell you what Corey Joseph's been doing since. I can't tell you what Doug McDermott has been doing since. I just remember when they didn't resign Doug McDermott. And, yeah, he's been a nice NBA shooter. He's been all right, you know, but um, – We'll see. I mean, I guess he was with the Spurs. Spurs lost a lot. Not that Doug McDermott was expected to be their their lead guy, but whatever the case may be, it is what it is. So, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the big move today uh, for Indiana was moving on from Buddy Heald. So, there's a couple things going on here. Um, I just wonder, had they moved Buddy Heald in the offseason, what the market would have been then compared to what it is now. But I've got to believe his value took a little bit of a hit with the fact that he was put on the bench a lot of times. And um, after the acquisition of Pascal Siakam, and by the way, they've won kind of without Buddy Heald. Not one despite Buddy Heald, because Buddy Heald's played some, some big moments this year. But at the end of the day, the core of this team does not include Buddy Heald. And then there's the contract situation. You know, I don't think he was going to resign here anyway. So maybe the Pacers just decided, hey, let's get what we can get. But if you remember in the offseason in the summer, it's kind of August time frame that it was floated out there that the Pacers were exploring deals for Buddy Heald. And I was pretty strong on you don't want to do that because where else does your perimeter shooting come from? Now, that's not as much of a concern because the Pacers have one of the top offenses in the NBA. doesn't really matter um, the, the, the fact of where your shooter is, per se. Uh, Buddy Heald's not, um, you know, at the time was by far your best shooter. Now, uh, Tyrese Altman's turned into a plus three-point shooter. Uh, Pascal Siakam's that guy. Turner's that. You got, you got enough of, of good shooters. You don't have any elite shooters, and Buddy Heald, really, that's his specialty. But I, I think the writing was kind of on the wall. After Buddy Heald declined the extensions, and I understand at that time you almost were holding on to him thinking maybe you could get a better deal. Maybe he was going to be a part of the package that you would acquire a guy like Pascal Siakam. And so you hang on to him just in case. The fact of the matter is you didn't need him for the Pascal Siakam trade and really didn't need that piece. And oh, by the way, he his minutes have kind of dwindled as well. And so, um, look, the return wasn't exactly exciting, but it just makes me wonder, had you in hindsight, made a move 
in the offseason what the difference would have been. Like, would you have gotten something of value from the Lakers, um, who were who have always reportedly been very interested in Buddy Heald? So um, I'm not shocked the move was made by, by, by any stretch of the imagination. But um, at the end of the day, um, that's kind of where it stands. Uh, that, that that's kind of where it stands so buddy healed is not an indiana pacer any longer now i do have a concern with this because the locker room really likes buddy healed the front office really likes buddy healed rick carlisle's really liked buddy healed and every once in a while you'll just have one of those moves where on paper it doesn't look like a, a big deal but um is there any sort of um locker room deals with this I'm not going to say issues because I don't know if Buddy Heald was one of those guys where he was a big locker room guy and it, I, I just feel so confident in Tyrese Halliburton as a leader that I don't think it's going to be a problem but the way the organization talked about Buddy Heald he was incredibly respected and he was the secondary guy to the fact you acquired Tyrese Halliburton but there were moments where Buddy Heald was really good for you and he came to work every day he, he, he played. He played well. He was, you know, a, a, a guy that was kind of the second piece last year. So um, not exactly the way you would like to have this go, but it is what it is. And I'm just interested about the whole thing. Um, I, I'm just interested about the whole thing. So uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Um, but Buddy Heald moved to the Philadelphia 76ers, so there's a potential down the road you can meet up with Buddy Heald again. <laughs> it's possible. Uh, it's it's definitely possible. So, all right, uh, Mike Fleck, Ball State men's golf coach, is going to join us coming up here in about seven minutes or so. Got a lot uh, of really good stuff uh, to talk about with Coach because they want a tournament. Uh, the 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 spring men's golf season is uh, kind of beginning here. All right, uh, Dalton Bishop on the line. Dalton, what do you got? Hey, Mark, it's Dalton Bishop. What do you got, man? Hey, I just wanted to throw out something that I thought was very interesting about Buddy Hill, and not that it probably led into them trading him because at some point they were going to move him, whether it's the offseason or uh, here at the deadline. But I thought that it was interesting uh, as I was watching the game on Sunday when they were playing Charlotte that they brought Buddy Hill in and Charlotte went on a 14-0 run. And then they took Buddy Hild out of the game, as well as Obi Toppin. And I thought it was really interesting because Buddy Hild walked off the bench like during the game. Just, like got up, walked off the bench. And so I wonder if there was starting to be some turmoil uh, within the Pacers' uh, coaching staff or, or something along those lines, uh, which is why maybe they moved him now at the deadline. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just thought that I would point that out just because we were on the Buddy Hild topic and – uh, just kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I appreciate it, Dalton. Um, possibly. But I wonder when, when these things go down, and look, Buddy's very aware. He de- he declined a contract extension, and he's on he's on a one-year expiring deal. Like, th- those are valuable for a lot of teams, and, and I think he's got to understand. Maybe he saw the writing on the wall, but I think more of that um, – I appreciate Dalton calling in. Um, uh, it's – 
it's probably more of he gets the fact that they want to play Benedict Matherin more. He gets the fact that, you know, Ben Shepard, they've saw some seen some good things from him. Andrew Nimhart is um, a versatile guard that can play both positions, the guard, the, the point and, and the off guard. So, look, the, the, the limited opportunities were going to be there anyway. Maybe, just maybe, he saw the writing on the wall. And look, um, He's a veteran player that has never been to the playoffs. Never. If you think about it, he was with Sacramento, and Sacramento made the playoffs last year for the first time in, what, a decade? Yeah, Buddy Hill's never made the playoffs, and he's going to leave this organization right at the time where they might be hitting their apex. Um, that's got to be frustrating. It, it just has to be. Um, so... Ultimately, it's it's a bummer. Like I would have loved to see Buddy Heald on this team, but you can't keep somebody sentimentally because of what they did to set you up for this position. It's almost like, you know, when a group of seniors graduate and the next year is the year that a team like wins a sectional or those sorts of things and the coach always references, hey, well, we wouldn't be in a position for those seniors, but those seniors were never able to experience that type of high. Like it kind of feels like that with Buddy Heald, right? Like I don't know if he'll ever be recognized for being a part of the group that kind of helped make this all possible, but um, it, it, it was a salary dump. It was. I mean, it was to get off the contract of Buddy Heald and the fact you kind of acknowledged that he is not going to be a part of the future. Wild to think that way. So, anyway, all right, when we come back, final segment of the show, and Mike Fleck, Ball Statements Golf Coach, is going to stop by right after this. Power Talk on CWMUN. As always, brought to you in part by State Farm Agent Jason May. Make sure you get all the discounts you deserve by calling Jason at 747-7100 today. Glad you are with us, and we are always glad, always glad, when we're joined by one of our favorites, Ball State men's golf coach, Mike Flick. Coach, I just want to let you know, I don't say that for every guest, so uh, and the listeners can back me up on that. You truly are one of our favorites. What's going on, Coach? How are you? Well, hey, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you all, uh, always having me on. And uh, I know that when I join your show, the weather is either getting better or is really good. So <laughs> I, I, know we're get, I know we're getting closer to spring since I'm talking to you. Well, I was going to say, you, you, you mentioned to me, I said, hey, are you back in town? You said, yeah, I was out at the Players Club today. What, what the heck? We, we got golf weather today? Yeah, no, you know the players' club's actually actually been open for several days. They've running carts, and it's been pretty busy. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been nice to to be able to get out to TPC and and get some reps in. So you brought some of that uh, from Florida, which, by the way, um, you guys were down in uh, in Florida at the same time I was. So maybe it was like a joint effort. We we brought a little bit of fifties uh, fifty degree weather and some little golf weather back, huh? We, we, we felt some of the Mark Forrester vibes while we were down there, no doubt. <laughs> Not my golf swing, but uh, the, <laughs> the, the positive confidence vibes. You know, that's, 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 the, that, that, that's the inventory I bring. But, hey, that's nice exactly nice right. nice win. Um, look, hey, uh, that, that's got to feel really good. When you have that first opportunity to get out there, it, it's February. The real competition kind of ended at the end of October. You get right back out there and um, – What's the conversation around uh, the success you guys had down in uh, Dade City, Florida? Yeah, you know, it, it, the guys did a great job. I mean, they, they played 
um, really, really well. And it was a team effort. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that they, you know, since we shut it down in October, we, we've been putting in some work. The guys have been, you know, putting in a lot of time getting over in the golf building. Several of these guys over the holidays played in, in some independent tournaments to, to kind of keep, keep things going competitively. So, you know, we, we knew we were in a good place going down there. You just don't know, though, you know, match plays fickle. And, and we were the one seed of the eight teams. And, you know, we've seen enough. Ryder Cup and, 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 you know, professional match play events where, you know, the, the favorite doesn't always win. And, uh, you know, it was nice to be able to kind of get two convincing wins on Monday and, and then really kind of get a dominating win in that championship match uh, Tuesday. So guys did a great job. Every kid had a winning record. You know, Carter Smith went 3-0. and And, uh, you know, we, we really uh, – we really went down there with with the determination that we were going to put ourselves in a position to to, to play for the championship, and we did just that. So, um, preparation for, uh, for 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 the spring season here. When did it all start for you? Yeah, we started um, probably when they got back in January. Like I said, several of these guys went and played over that three-week stretch over the, uh, the semester break, the holiday break. Uh, but we really started kind of picking things up when they got back here the first week of January. And, you know, it was nice. We had we had a good three weeks of, of preparation, drill work, uh, kind of getting our, our mind in the right place, you know, competitively moving moving towards the, the end of January. And we were in a good spot going down there. Uh, it's Mike Floyd, Ball State Men's Golf Coach. Our conversation brought to you by the 1925 Pubhouse at the Courtyard, our Ball State Coaches Corner of the Week each and every week. Um, look, match play's different, as you mentioned. You, you said it's it's fickle. So how much of a conversation does it change the way that guys play in this format compared to stroke play? You know what? It does, absolutely. I mean, they'll, they'll want to tell you that it doesn't, but, you know, it, it, match play brings a little bit more emotion into the equation. And, you know, obviously you are still playing the golf course and you're still kind of plotting it, you know, one shot after one shot, trying to, trying to be consistent. But, you know, match play, honestly, you're also trying to break the will of your opponent a little bit and, uh, you know, put, put them outside of their comfort zone and, and kind of get them, um, you know, in, in a place where emotionally they're, they're kind of fighting a little bit. And, you know, you do that by, by, by getting off to a hot start and getting up a few holes, maybe a couple holes early in the match. And, and then really just trying to, you know, hit hit good golf shots after that and maintain that momentum and make them kind of do some things that they don't want to do, you know, to try to get back in the match. And, and for the most part, again, you know, um, e- each individual match, we were able to do that with multiple guys, you know, getting off to good starts and kind of getting them out of position early and, and uh, you know, finishing the deal. Um, so, yeah. It's it's kind of interesting because you mention um, when, when putting the pressure on the other team. Uh, a lot of times, is the way you close in a second half or those sorts of things, or, or, or consistency, or whatever the case may be. And in this case, um, I would imagine it makes an opponent try to be more aggressive when you get off to that start because it is a long, you know, eighteen-hole stretch in a in a match play perspective. But when you have like a two or three shot lead, like it, you can't get it back uh, by having a, a you know a birdie if you guys get a birdie or whatever whatever the case may be. So um, this is kind of one of those weird things where the start maybe is even more important than the finish in a lot of ways. 
No, no question. I mean, if you can get up early, you kind of establish and set the tone for the match. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'll just give you an example. We had a situation where Ali uh, Khan in the, in the first match, he was down four, four after six holes. And, and I finally caught up to him about hole nine, 10, and he had gotten it back to three. And, and in an odd way, you know, I was like, Ali, the, the pressure is kind of on, on the other guy now because, you know, he's three up with, with seven, eight holes to play. He's got to try to figure out how to close this thing out. But if you can just kind of keep putting pressure on him and just did a bunch of good shots, you know, maybe he'll get himself out of sorts. And that's exactly what we what we saw happen on the reverse with, you know, Ali got himself back into the mix and, you know, lost one down on the final hole. But it, it, it is a different mentality. You pay attention to what your opponent's doing. You know, if, if they make mistakes, you become conservative. If they're playing well, you have to kind of be a little bit of aggressive and, and you just have to match that, that shot-by-shot mentality. It's Mike Fleck, Ball State Men's Golf Coach with us. Power Talk amongst you, the new WMU in our conversation, brought to you by the 1925 Pubhouse of the Courtyard. Uh, beating two Mid-American Conference teams, too. Look, you're going to see them at some point uh, down the road here, but uh, th- that makes it even a little sweeter going against the Mid-American Conference? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, anytime that you can get some quality wins against conference foes, it's it's always a positive and obviously, you know, build some confidence within the framework of your guys. So, you know, be, being able to play against Ohio and, and have success and, and honestly, you know, in that championship match with Eastern, I, I didn't I didn't think it would go the way that it did. Not that I didn't have confidence in, in, in all six of my guys, but I I didn't envision, you know, a five one. I thought this I thought it was gonna be a little bit tighter and for them to you know, step up and perform in that championship match with a little bit of pressure, uh, knowing, you know, that, that they were probably the better team on paper. To, to see them finish that off the way they did was pretty encouraging. Carter Smith, Mid-American Conference uh, Player of the Week. What's clicking about his game right now, Coach? Kid's just got confidence. He puts time in. Um, he works his tail off. He, he knows what he's capable of doing. Um, it's pretty cool to see it. Like you referenced, I mean, this is his – third third recognition i think of of the year and and it's our fourth out of the six events that we played in to date you know going back to september the the five tournaments in the fall so you know carter and cash that that's the that's the centerpiece of our lineup you know those guys are are both you know top five ranked players in the league right now and those are going to be you know the two guys that that we kind of look towards you know, as we roll through the spring season, if we're going to ha- continue to have the success that we want to. I see a quote that you had about him uh, uh, back at the uh, the beginning of the season, maybe even when you recruited him as well, that this season he should compete for Mac Golfer of the Year. Uh, I would think three, uh, three honors like this gets him pretty close to, to being in that contention, right? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, he's, uh, you know, I think the reference that you were talking about was, you know, when he came in as a freshman, he really didn't know – you know, he didn't know what to expect. He, you know, he just you kind of come in and you and you learn and grow, and you kind of go through it. And and now here he is in his sophomore year, and those expectations have become exactly that. You know, he wants to he wants to compete for the top spot in the league, as does Cash Beller, and and both of them have have the tools to do it and the and the game to do it. So, um, yeah, there, there's definitely been a shift, you know, for for Carter between his freshman year and now you know, with his expectation level, and that's only going to grow as we continue to 
to, to get deeper into the spring schedule. So what Carter's accomplished, and of course what Cash has has accomplished as well, um, is this a group you mentioned that the five or six golfers you have, is this, a, is this a type of group, because you've had all different types of groups, Coach, over the last several years where Cash and Carter are leading things, or uh, three, four, five, six, pretty strong for you as well as you, you know, you're pretty balanced across the board. Yeah, I, I think a little bit of both. I think we, we, we have some firepower at the top of the lineup with those two guys. We have some depth, um, you know, six or seven deep with, with competitive guys. I mean, you know, I can, I can tell you, I mean, there was, we, we had a kid that didn't make this trip that played in the U.S. Amateur this summer you know, that, that didn't make it to the match play. So we've got, we've got some depth. We've got some push there in that three, four, five, six, seven range. And, you know, golf is one of those, you know, any one of those guys could pop off on a weekend too and, and be right up there with Cash and Carter. So it's, uh, we're, we're in a pretty good place. Um, but we, we still have a long way to go, and we've got a lot of work to, to put in to, to be where we want to be, you know, come, come the end of April. So Puerto Rico in two weeks, do I have that right? Yeah, Puerto Rico. Two we we leave two weeks from today. Yeah, yeah. God, well, you guys have it so rough. I tell you what. <laughs> well, I I, I got to talk to the person that's in charge of the scheduling. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a benefit to to be able to uh, to to be able to control the schedule a little bit and 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 get to some places early in the in the in the spring season that uh, are not only good places to go play golf but good destinations as well so you're saying like Wisconsin uh, in the middle of February wouldn't want to host a, a, a golf tournament where you could just go up there why Puerto Rico just go to Wisconsin it's it's balmy this time of the year yeah I tell you what you go you go play uh, golf in Wisconsin in a couple of weeks <laughs> and we'll go to Puerto Rico and we'll, we'll share stories <laughs> when we get back well I was with some family down in Florida and uh, they're from Minnesota and they say this is one of the weird winters they don't have any snow on the ground uh at, at all in the month of february wow. they they have they, which is weird and i we felt like we've had a weird winter here i mean that's just yeah. super atypical for them but i think puerto rico is probably a better bet for you guys we we know what we're going to get in puerto rico and we know it's going to be 80 85 degrees and sunny and and snow is going to be the farthest thing from our minds that's outstanding so. that's outstanding well congratulations on the win coach look forward to talking to you uh throughout the season uh keep it up we'll talk to you soon okay Mark, thanks for having me. That's uh, Mike Fleck, Ball State Men's Golf Coach, the best. Uh, brought to you by the 1925 Pump House at the Courtyard. Have something for everyone. Six-time medalist in the 2023 quest for the best, including best all-around restaurant and the best sports bar, one of the best tenderloins burgers. They're right downtown in Muncie at the Courtyard Marriott and big supporters of Ball State Athletics. 1925 Pump House at the Courtyard in downtown Muncie. Great stuff today. We are back with you tomorrow. We're going to preview everything that's coming your way this weekend. Back tomorrow at 4.